Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to this inaugural World Trade Center Utah podcast. I'm Derek Miller, the president and CEO of the World Trade Center Utah, and I am glad to be able to welcome you to what is our first of hopefully many editions of a podcast where we are going to discuss international trade news, Utah's economic development, and of course, ways to help you grow your international business. On this month's podcast, we will have a Prosperity Project segment talking with Teresa Foxley, the president and CEO of EDC Utah. That's the nonprofit in the state that is responsible for corporate recruitment. And we talk with Teresa about how corporate recruitment helps to build Utah's economic prosperity. On our main segment for this month's podcast, we will be discussing new cybersecurity laws in the European Union and how it impacts your company. If you are a Utah business selling to an EU country, shipping to an EU country, or really doing any business at all with any EU country, you need to know about these new cybersecurity laws that are going into effect this spring 2018. We're going to talk with cybersecurity law expert Tomu Johnson from Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer. But before we get into both of those segments, let me just tell you quickly about some upcoming events at the World Trade Center Utah. The first is a diplomatic breakfast on January 10th. We've titled this The Future of Transatlantic Trade, and we'll be talking with political leaders from the UK, from Greece, and from Denmark. This is an event that's being done at the World Trade Center Utah in partnership with the Center for New American Security. We also have coming up on January 18th our Doing Business in Mexico seminar. You can register for that and learn about doing business in Mexico. It's part of a lead-in effort to the Mexico trade mission that we will have the week of April 8th through the 14th. Governor Herbert will be leading this trade mission. We'll have legislative representatives. We'll have a lot of community and business leaders. And I'm excited to tell you that registration for our Mexico trade mission is opening this week. You can find out about these events and more on the World Trade Center Utah website, our newsletter, and of course following us on social media at WTC Utah. Let's go ahead and get started with today's first topic, corporate recruitment. So in last month's Prosperity Project newsletter, we talked to Teresa Foxley about how corporate recruitment helps build Utah's economy. And we're glad that we've got her here at the World Trade Center today to talk a little bit more about that. Teresa, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Derek. Tell us a little bit about EDC Utah uh, your mission, how you guys are organized, and whatever else you'd like to tell us about EDC Utah. Cool. Well, EDC Utah is a private nonprofit that was founded in 1987 to help act as a catalyst for quality jobs and capital investment. So a bunch of business leaders got together and said, you know what, we're too reliant on the extractive-based industries and on construction here. When there's a dip in those industries, it really negatively affects the whole state. Let's market what we have as a state, which is that we're a very stable and business-friendly place. We've got great people here and a great workforce. Let's market the state to out-of-state investors as an attractive business destination and try to diversify the economy. And it worked. Now, you're relatively new 
to the organization, but you're certainly not new to the effort. How long have you been at EDC Utah? And then for those who aren't aware, tell us about what you were doing for the state as it relates to recruitment before that. Yeah, so I joined EDC Utah last spring and it's been a really fun nine months or so, but uh, I had a lot of exposure to the organization prior to joining as its, as its CEO because I worked at the Governor's Office of Economic Development as the Deputy Director and were a partner organization to, uh, to EDC Utah at the time and loved the mission, loved the narrow focus, loved the scope. Um, and so I was really delighted to be able to, to join EDC Utah about a year ago. Um, but as you mentioned prior to that, was here with the governor's office, working uh, hand in hand with EDC Utah to help bring new companies to Utah and to help existing companies make large expansions. So, And I can say from personal experience, it's probably the best job in the state because I used to have that job too. And it's pretty cool to be able to recruit companies to Utah and sell the state of Utah, one of the reasons that we did um, this newsletter when we did it was because of the focus on this huge Amazon project. And I think a lot of people know about that, they're familiar with it, but tell us about some recruitment projects either that you've worked on with EDC Utah or before in your role, in your role with GoEd that people may not know about, some of your favorites. Cool. So the Amazon project was terrific, and it was uh, obviously they were seeking a secondary headquarters, um, and it brought a lot of attention to corporate recruitment, which was awesome. But we do work on about 120 active recruitment projects at any given time, and in any given year we'll close or announce that 30 or so companies have chosen to expand in the state of Utah. So that's awesome. And my favorite projects tend to be the ones where you get to learn something new about a really cool industry uh, or where you get to support a company that already has existing operations in the state and they're choosing to come back and invest more, uh, both in terms of capital and in terms of people. So, um, you know, one of the, my favorite projects that I worked on when I was with the governor's office was a reshoring effort with Black Diamond. Hmm. So a great outdoor uh, outdoor company that has a really cool uh, operation in, in Mill Creek here in Salt Lake County. And uh, they decided that they wanted to bring back some of their uh, manufacturing from Asia to the United States. So we worked with them on putting together a business case and that was awesome. Um, so for me, it's again, the job is so fun because it is a promotional role. But one of the things that makes it really exciting is that you get to, one, work with people who are passionate about what they're doing, what they're selling, how they're trying to change the world through their product, and you get to learn about it. So it's pretty cool. When I, I remember when I took the job with GoEd and I knew that I'd be part of the job was recruiting these companies. I, of course, I didn't tell the people that were hiring me this, but what I felt personally was a little bit of fear because I didn't think I was much of a salesperson. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to have to go out and sell the state of Utah. And what I found, of course, was that it basically sells itself. Uh, I mean, there's so it's a great product. It's you know, it's not like, you know, putting lipstick on a pig, as they say. U Utah is a is an awesome place. Tell us about what makes Utah such an attractive place. I mean, thir closing 30 projects successfully a year. That is really remarkable. I'm, I'm guessing most of our listeners would be surprised to hear that we have these 30 projects every year. 
What is making Utah such an attractive place for these companies? It's an awesome question, one that I think about all the time, because we do have a great product to sell and we want to make sure that we keep having a great product to sell. Um, but really, so much of our success comes from a couple of critical things. First, uh, the population here. It's fantastic. We are, I'm a huge believer that demographics are destiny, and we can look back to see one of the reasons why I believe our state has been so, so successful in its growth, and that's because we have a growing and expanding population. We've got a business-friendly government, and that starts with leadership from the top from the state, but it trickles all the way through to our local governments as well. Uh, and so it's a conducive place to doing business. We have great access and proximity to other markets. Uh, and we've got a, a, you can compete on cost here in the state as well because, uh, it, because we are less expensive than other big markets or less expensive than markets of a similar size as well. So it's a, there's a whole bunch of ingredients that go into uh, making Utah attract, an attractive place to do business, but we've got all of them spot on. You alluded to this in your answer about making sure that Utah continues to be a top place for business. Uh, that infers that we have some challenges, uh, things that we need to be focused on to ensure that that happens. What, what are those challenges? So it, it would, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about continuing to make good strategic investments in our education and in our infrastructure. I think that goes without saying. Uh, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, and then, you know, one of the things that we've been really focused on as an organization is helping communi communities be more prepared for economic development. Um, as, as much as you'd prefer to deal with the challenges that come with growth, there are challenges. And so uh, we've been working really hard with our communities through what we call our public development department uh, so that they can go through and understand themselves better, understand what their uh, what their assets in the community are, and how they should market themselves and position themselves to businesses. We've also been working on a mega sites program uh, that is designed to really help the state come up with an inventory of communities and sites that are ready for transformational investment. So, uh, what I what we're looking towards in the future is more economic preparedness, and we're excited to be a partner with many organizations across the state to do that. You know, if the, if there was one thing that you wish the general public knew about corporate recruitment, what would it be? I think it's just that it's intentional. That we are that there is a, a whole team of Utahns, not just our organizations, but several other several others that are really part of trying to make this state something that's incredible uh, and where there's prosperity and opportunity for generations to come. Well, thank you, Teresa, for what you're doing, not to just be a member of that team, but to be a leader on that team. Thanks to your organization, EDC Utah, for what you're doing to bring prosperity to the state. For those of you who are listening that want to know more, uh, find out more by reading the World Trade Center Utah's Prosperity Newsletter. You can find it on our website, wtcutah.com, or just search for us at World Trade Center Utah. Sign up for the newsletter, sign up for the podcast, learn more about what Utah's team is doing to make Utah a prosperous place. Thanks. Thanks, Derek. We're glad to have with us today Tomu Johnson, counsel at Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer. Our featured international business topic for this month's podcast is cybersecurity, something that everybody's thinking about, a lot of people are scared about. So we're glad to have 
Tomu with us to tell us a little bit about cybersecurity law. He's here specifically to talk about how Utah companies can protect their data while doing international business and the European Union's new data privacy laws. We will also talk about new general data privacy regulations, deadlines, how it can affect Utah companies that are currently exporting or doing business or want to do business in the EU. Tomu, thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. So I've just got a series of questions I'm going to ask you, but if I don't ask the right questions, at least give the right answers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. You know, to start with, let's talk about cybersecurity. I mentioned that everybody's thinking about it, or at least they should be. Uh, a lot of people are afraid about what is going on as it relates to cybersecurity. But unfortunately, I think we may have a lot of people that are all also sticking their heads in the sand when it comes to cybersecurity, and particularly some recent changes to laws in the EU. So tell us about just generally what you do with cybersecurity and how it can impact Utah businesses. Yeah, so I, I like to look at cybersecurity um, from a legal perspective, primarily because when you think about cybersecurity, you can think about it in terms of buying widgets and gadgets in order to try to make your organization more secure. Um, the problem is that at the end of the day, if you're ever in a cybersecurity, if you're having a cybersecurity problem, um, and there are regulators who want to investigate that problem, they, they don't really care how much money you spent on the newest gadget. They want to make sure that you're complying with the standards that regulate the information that's been entrusted to you as a company. And so, you know, the service offerings that we kind of, that I, in, in terms of how I like to break up um, cybersecurity from a legal perspective is, you know, I like to look at it from contract drafting. Um, second, I like to look at it from policy, from a policy and procedure perspective and making sure that we have the appropriate policies um, to follow what our regulatory requirements are. Um, incident response, where you, know, you, you help a company go through you know, the moment that it's had an incident to making decisions about what, who we're gonna notify in terms of you know, uh, regulatory agencies, in terms of you know, customer base. Uh, and, and then after you go through the incident response process, maybe the fourth way that I would look at this is from a litigation perspective. In the event that you know consumers are so upset with a company and the way that it's handled information that they get sued, um, and I, I look at it from those four different perspectives. Because again, if you're a business in Utah and you're going about and trying to figure out what your obligations are, you're certainly right. There's a lot of information flowing out there about what you can do in order to become secure. But I think that all that information doesn't really help an entity. There are just too many options unless we tie it back to a conversation about well, what are your legal obligations and what are we supposed to do under the law so that we can say, you know, when we're spending XYZ dollars on security or on IT infrastructure, whatever it may be, we can say that we're doing it with a purpose in order to try to reduce our liabilities under the law. Right? So this is obviously an evolving area, an evolving industry, an evolving challenge. And so I'm sure it's also an evolving area in the law itself. And we've got this general data privacy regulation out of the EU. Is that only in the EU? Does that, or is that a larger area? But I know there's some changes happening in the EU right now. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, in 1995, uh, Europe had a law that was called the Data Protection Directive. And this new law that will come into place uh, on May 20. 5th of 2018 is called the General Data Protection Regulation. It will replace the directive and will govern privacy regulation all throughout the European Union. Um, 
you know, it's not the only place that has a law as expansive when it comes to protecting the privacy of, of individual citizens within our territory. A lot of countries have these sort of privacy laws. Canada has a similar law. Mexico, Colombia, Argentina all have similar laws. Um, Australia has a similar law. South Korea, Japan, the Philippines, um, Singapore, Indonesia, all those countries have laws that are similar to this uh, that, that are pretty you know, broad-based privacy laws to protect the way information is handled within those countries. And is this, first of all, just so that we know, our listeners know what we're talking about, it, does it go by the acronym, do I have this right, GDPR, or am I just making that no, up? No, that's right. That's okay, so when we talk about GDPR, this is the, the new law. And, and May of 2018, I mean, that's not far away. This is, especially when you talk about getting into compliance as these Utah businesses that may be doing business with the EU need to do. I mean, there's not a lot of time here. No, there, there really isn't. I mean, it can, be, it can be a process to try to become compliant with that law. There's a lot, you know, if you break that law up into its requirements, there are general requirements, requirements if you're a controller, requirements if you're a processor, making sure that you're organization uh, follows privacy by design principles, making sure that you preserve the fundamental rights of privacy for people that reside in the European Union, um, making sure that you have an appropriate incident response program, and making sure that you're appropriately communicating with data privacy authorities within Europe. And so uh, it, it can take a while. Um, and you know, part of the reason that we wanted to come and talk with the World Trade Center today is let organizations and companies in Utah know, you know now's the time to start thinking about this because if we start waiting too much longer we're going to miss our window and there can be pretty steep fines and penalties for failing to comply with the law if you choose to do business in the European Union. So I, I want to delve a little bit deeper into that important notion of what Utah businesses should be doing now to, to get ready but before we get there let, let's um, set the table a little bit more. Tell me Tomu about uh, how the EU is defining personal data and how they're defining Processing. Yeah, and so in contrast to what we do in America, you know, the U.S. is what's called a sectoral-based privacy um, privacy regulation. In the sense that we don't have one broad privacy law in the United States. You have, if you are in the healthcare industry, the financial industry, telecommunications industry, there are laws that regulate how you handle information and protect the privacy of individuals that interact with those services within those sectors. And then you have 48 different state laws that kind of regulate personal information in the event of a data breach. The European Union and most countries around the globe kind of do, do things differently. They have broad privacy laws that are comprehensive. And in the European Union, the way they look at personal data is they say anything that can be used alone or in conjunction with other information to identify an individual constitutes personal data. So if you're looking at an employee ID number, that alone in the United States would never be considered personal identifying information. But in the EU, if that information could be used with either your name, if somebody were to find like an HR registry that would connect your name to your employee ID number, that would be considered personal data. Um, but it also includes, you know, your address, your work email address, um, any, um, like your driver's license number, any state-based identification number, all that stuff is considered to be personal data in the European Union and is considered to be regulated data. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting about the European Union is the way they define processing. Okay. And so in the European Union, processing is a very broad term. 
And it pretty much means anything you could do to data to manipulate it, anything you could do to store it, transfer it, receive it, all that's considered processing. So if you are handling personal data and, and you're processing personal data from the European Union, you are considered to be regulated by the GDPR. I mean, that's a pretty broad definition. Yeah. Anyone who's handling the data is what I hear you saying. That's exactly right, which is, and is a shock for a lot of uh, U.S. companies, I imagine would be a shock for a lot of Utah companies, because that's just not the way we look at it here in the United States. And in the European Union, they, they, it's so broad that really encompasses almost anything that you would do, whether it's a small website that you know allows people in the European Union to buy products off your website, that would can be, be considered the processing of personal data, because somebody's probably going to have to either log into your website or provide credit card information purchase those products off your website. You know, it's pretty. It's a pretty large net and cap captures a lot of companies within it. So I was going to ask you this question, you know, why should Utah companies care about what's happening in the EU? But really, you, you've answered that. If, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, an online retailer in Kanab who, you know, has customers that are buying things off of his or her website getting that personal information. So this company in Kanab needs to be aware of what's happening to companies all around the state. I mean, if you're doing business, if you've got customers in the EU, you'd better be aware of, that, of this. Well, and that's exactly right. And, and more than just being aware, it's important to stay on top of the GDPR if you, you know, open yourself up to conduct business in any, in any way in the European Union, because the fines are also incredibly steep if you fail to comply. So. You know, in the European Union, there are kind of two fine structures. There's one fine for if you violate some very particular parts of the privacy law that are up to 10 million euros or 2% of global revenue. But if you violate some of the basic privacy principles of the GDPR, it's a 20 million euro fine and up to 4% of global revenues, whichever is greater. And European regulators are not shy when it comes to imposing fines against U.S. companies. It seems to be one of Europe's favorite pastimes to poke American companies in the eye. You know, last year they issued a fine that was 900 million euros to Google. <laughs> it was, it's, it, it, they, they are not afraid of issuing very large fines to send a message to American companies. And, uh, you know, big or small, it's important to make sure that you're paying attention to what your obligations are under the GDPR. I remember the fine against Google at the time because I think they were talking, at the time they were talking about over a billion dollars. Did that have to do with a data privacy, personal information? You know, it had to do with personal information, but it's not specifically related to the violation of a privacy law. I think that they were concerned with the way that Google was uh, processing information within Europe without necessarily being upfront about how information was being processed by Google for the, their backend ad program software. Um, I could be wrong on that, but that's what I believe that fine was for. So it's tangential to, to the privacy issue. And, and you know, there's another question that we probably ought to clear up for the Utah businesses that are listening to this and, and, and want to know more about it. I would imagine, you know, this fictional company that we're talking about in Kanab, Utah, but it could be anywhere, Utah, um, you know, they may be thinking, well, you know, that's Europe. I'm here in Utah. They can't do anything to me, but explain that to us. How does that work? How, how, does, how does a Utah company actually run a, not just run a foul, but can they, and, and be subject to these fines from a jurisdictional standpoint, how does that work? Right, and that's the interesting thing about the GDPR is that the way the jurisdiction part of that statute is written, 
is that it applies to any company that directs business to people that are located within the European Union. And so what happens if you're you know, using our fictitious cannab company that maybe has just an online storefront that allows people all over the globe to purchase products. Um, people from Europe, if they decide to purchase products there, you know, it, it may be difficult to hail um, a, that company in Canab into court in Europe, but certainly a data protection authority in any of the countries in the European Union, they could decide to just shut down your ability yeah. to operate in Europe. Yeah. They can revoke, you know, they can block your website, they can do a whole host of things um, short of issuing you that fine. And, and you know, it, it can be, they can make life difficult in order to continue to operate. And so, you know, even though, you know, it may be difficult for them to bring you all the way over to Europe, they can still, there's other say, things, as I say, there are other things that they can do. Um, but, you know, I, I, for companies that have any sort of operations in Europe or any sort of, well, I would say any sort of, more than just storefront, but mm -hmm. any sort of operation backend in Europe, those would be easy targets for a regulator to, to say, we'd like to see your business license and potentially revoke your business license and then start issuing fines for you, right? And so there, there are a couple of different methods for, for a regulator in Europe to try to get out, of, get out of Utah properly. So hopefully we've got the attention of these Utah businesses that are doing business in the European Union. Now let's give them some hope. Let's talk <laughs> about what they can do to start preparing in, in order to not run afoul. Actually, let me rewind a second because there's one thing that just popped into my mind. Um, and this was, there, there have been, in 2016, the US and the European Union kind of worked together um, to create what was called the Privacy Shield Regulation. And companies can sign up for it voluntarily in order to transfer information between Europe and the United States. But one of the things that it created was a strong relationship between the Federal Trade Commission and European Data Protection Authorities. And one thing that I think you will see is that more and more if companies try to hide just in the United States um, while they're violating the GDPR, I don't think they would be, I think I would expect to see data privacy regulators in Europe contact offices of the FTC in the United States and ask the FTC to investigate what's going on in the United States. I see that as something definitely within the realm of possibility given how active some of the data privacy regulators are. So that would be a third way that you would see potentially European regulators working with regulators in the United States in order to open investigations about privacy practices in the United it, States. Um, but to your question that <laughs> you just immediately asked, um, I don't want it to be all just doom and gloom. I don't want it to just be fear, uncertainty, and doubt. There are real solutions out there in order to try to get on the path. And I think the first step is you know, talking to you know, anybody who can help you understand what your obligations are under the GDPR because it, it's a tricky piece of legislation. Um, you know, broadly breaking it up, there are general privacy requirements, controller requirements, processor requirements, um, how to preserve data subject rights in the European Union, incident response processes, and then processes for um, regulations for how to communicate with data privacy authorities in the event you have questions, right? And understanding what your legal, legal obligations are, probably the first step um, in this process, in this journey, in order to try to become compliant. The second thing that I recommend for organizations is to do what's called a data mapping exercise. And that data mapping exercise will help you understand, you're gonna go through and figure out all the information that you're gathering from Europe. You're going to document all, all the affiliates within your company that may be handling that information. Um, the hardware that's 
storing that information or software that may be transferring that information and creating a map of how that information originates, flows through, and ultimately rests or gets deleted out of your system within your organization, how you share that with other third parties, and then the security controls that you tie to that information so that if anybody would ever ask, you can say, oh, well, for this category of data, whether it may be you know, HR information or maybe credit card information um, or maybe website login information, you can say, well, it hits our server at this point then crosses the Atlantic and comes into this server in the United States. Um, we may hand it to a processor or not. You know, all throughout this process, we protect it you know, with XYZ technology, whether it's encryption through the transfer um, or encryption at rest. And then ultimately, you know, it gets, either gets destroyed or deleted or we retain it, and this is how we secure it when we retain it. And you do that data mapping exercise so you can get a full understanding of the type of information you're handling, where it's coming from, who you're sending it to, so you can figure out which information is in scope for the GDPR. And that information that's in scope, that's where you'll want to write the policies in order to make sure that you're complying with, with the regulation. Otherwise, you know, you don't want to apply the regulation to stuff that's not ever going to apply to the regulation, right? And so those two exercises, understanding the law and doing that data mapping exercise, those are the first steps that you want to take on this process. So thank you for giving some hope to our Utah businesses and some specific information about how they can get started. And I would imagine I'd add to the list that you gave, Tomo, one of the important things they could do is obviously speak to an expert, in this case, a legal expert. You are uh, a legal expert in this field. How do our listeners get a hold of you? Um, so the best way to get a hold of me is through email. And it's just tjohnson at parsonsbailey.com, P-A-R-S-O-N-S-B-E-H-L-E.com. Uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me. And the thing is, is that I understand this topic is a very difficult topic to try to wrap our heads around. It's a paradigm shift for how we look at protecting information from what we're used to here in the United States. And I try to give a little bit of free services for, for companies sit down with companies for one to five hours and kind of just sit down and talk with them for free in order to help understand this project, understand the regulation, understand what they may, you know, may need. And I, and I do that because, you know, it, it's a big topic yeah. <laughs> and it takes some time to, to level set on it. And so happy to help out. Um, and like I said, any email, I try to get back very quickly in order to make sure that we can sit down and have that, those initial discussions about this. Okay, give your email address one more time. Okay, tjohnson at parsonsbailey.com. Terrific. And as you pointed out, Tomu, uh, this is an important topic, but it's also a complex topic, and we've really only scratched the surface here. So I want to also let our listeners know that uh, you have written a white paper that we will host on the World Trade Center Utah website. So that's uh, you can find us, World Trade Center Utah. Just search for us, or you can go directly at wtcutah.com. Uh, find Tomu's white paper. We'll also have his contact information part of that white paper to find out more on this important topic. So Tomu, thank you so much for being with us. And thank you, Derek, for having me. Well, thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Don't forget to follow WTC Utah on social media. Again, that's at WTC Utah. And also, don't forget to tune into next month's podcast. Mm -hmm.